Simple Beep, Episode 2, Kaleidoscope. Welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast about the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormany. And I'm Brian Satorius. And today we're going to be talking about a much-loved control panel for the classic Mac OS, Kaleidoscope. One of the big things uh, that set the Mac apart since the beginning was the user interface. Uh, you had a mouse, you had a trash can for the files you didn't want anymore, and it looked like a trash can. Uh, and so even though it was, it was great on its own and a big draw to the platform, there was a huge community of people who wanted to customize it to, to look any way they liked. Yeah, and Kaleidoscope really offered this. It started with some simple customizations and then really moved to the point where you could take every system window and make it look like just about anything that you wanted. And, and we truly mean anything. We'll get to some of the more atrocious ones later. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. And you know, people have been thinking about this recently with big interface changes in Mac OS X uh, with Yosemite. And this was even mentioned in John Syracuse's famous Yosemite review. He was talking about the interface and called back to Kaleidoscope, or K, as it's affectionately known. And he said that the the whole number of schemes and customization possibilities back in the classic Mac OS with Kaleidoscope, he says, truly, it was a golden age. And so we're going to go revisit that golden age, but also look at some of the tarnished edges. So to get things started, there was actually a first party directly from Apple method of customizing the appearance of the Mac OS. It was called the Appearance Manager, and it was developed for the Copeland project, the operating system that we never truly got and instead uh, got OS 8. Uh, the Appearance Manager was uh, kind of a, a layer of the system uh, that uh, controlled the window controls, um, fonts, colors, and things like that. And uh, Apple had planned, uh, in addition to the default theme for Copeland and uh, Mac OS 8 and 9, all the way to the end of the classic Mac OS, was called Platinum. Uh, and so we never got these theme, the other themes that they had planned to come out with the Appearance Manager uh, released, but they, um, they had one called Gizmo, and one called high tech. And uh, there are some screenshots of what these would have looked like floating around on the internet. Yeah. And so these were all announced at the same time, as I recall, mm -hmm. and the whole appearance manager overhaul, it, we were impressed at the time by platinum, which was the default theme and is what we now know as the look of Mac OS eight and Mac OS nine. And that was revolutionary in and of itself after the system six and system seven days. And the fact that it was going to be this wide open, uh, this wide open area for changing the appearance in in many ways was very exciting. Just because people were were excited even at the defaults. Yeah, even little things like the system font changed from Chicago to charcoal, and even along the way, it uh, I think it was SB Sans for a little bit. Yeah, and these were things that were just. Not possible up until then. In System 7, you were locked in with the, the default appearance. You could maybe change uh, like the highlight colors, or if you were feeling really adventurous, you could make a copy of your system file and start going in with ResEdit and change the colors around a little bit, but you were really playing with fire at that point. But yeah, the Appearance Manager technology is actually what allowed Kaleidoscope to happen at all because it was all of these system-level hooks that told the, the Finder and the Window Manager and every other app what their windows should look like. They're being built out of pieces. This is how you should render the various edges of the window and, and make it look like this. And so while we never got the, the promise of uh, Apple first-party themes taking full advantage of all the different controls that could be customized. Uh, Apple did end up shipping something called uh, the Appearance Control Panel, uh, which you can still get to if you have a, a Mac in, of the like OS 8 and up era. 
Uh, and it does offer customization beyond what you could do in System 7. You can change the fonts used in the windows, uh, like title bars. You can change the color of progress bars uh, and, and little accent colors like that. But you can't change you know, the close box from a gray gradient to uh, something wacky like a, a photo. <laughs> the appearance control panel can also... Uh, add sound effects to your uh, user experience. Today in Mac OS X, we can have, like, when you empty the trash, it has the paper crumbling sound effect. When you remove items from the sidebar of the dock, you have the little uh, poof sound effect. Uh, but the appearance control panel in classic Mac OS offers a lot more. You can, ha- you can hear uh, audio feedback with every click, with every drag. And of course, an effect for opening and closing a window. Uh, And as you flip through each menu item, you can get that that audio feedback. So yeah, the Appearance Manager was part of Copeland Project, eventually got rolled into OS 8 and came as the Appearance Control Panel, but was never... an official part of System 7, but could be added through an SDK. And that's where the first interface customization on System 7 happened. And that first happened with the Aaron extension. As in the first name of Aaron Copeland. Yeah. And so what Aaron allowed was just a single theme. The Apple Platinum theme had basically been backported from... I don't know, the screenshots that we had seen, or maybe from actual beta Copeland code or something, had been put back into the System 7 appearance manager, wrapped up into a nice package, and then you could install this extension. And when you started up your System 7 Mac, it would look like what was going to be, and then eventually was, Mac OS 8. And uh, the person behind, or the team behind that extension would be the same team that would go to bring us Kaleidoscope. Yeah, so the original team was led by Greg Landweber and also included Ed Voss and Fred Bass. And I looked up Greg Landweber and found out that when he was writing Aaron and Kaleidoscope and a lot of other little extensions and utilities, which he still has the, the downloads page for, which is really cool, Uh, At the time, he was a grad student in math at Harvard, and now he's the department chair of math at Bard College. And as someone who just finished up grad school a year or so ago, that is beyond impressive to me that all of these projects happened while he was working on a PhD. And so that was the original team. And then later in the Kaleidoscope days, Arlo Rose joined the team. And he was a former employee at Apple and actually worked on the human interface team. So he was very familiar with all of the stages of Copeland and Appearance Manager. And he knew the the Apple internal code base and was really able to bring some additional major features to Kaleidoscope. And then uh, he also went on to create another famous application that began with the letter K, which was Confabulator which was probably the most Sherlocked of all, all applications, even more so than Sherlock. So yeah, so at the beginning, with Kaleidoscope 1, introduced the customization of color schemes. So this was really just w- sort of one step beyond Aaron. So with Aaron, you got the Apple Platinum scheme, and with... Kaleidoscope 1, you got windows that had the exact same shape and form as the Aaron or Apple Platinum windows, but allowed you to customize the colors. So each pixel could be just changed, you know, one for one color in place, but you had roughly the same same set of controls and the same overall appearance. So it was just sort of one step beyond, oh, you can change the progress bars and the scroll thumbs. Now you can change the color of everything. And that's why they were called color schemes. 
later on, uh, there was there was a pretty quick jump, I think, from Kaleidoscope 1 to Kaleidoscope 1.5. And that was because they added a lot of new features and they added full third-party scheme support. And this is when the Kaleidoscope community really began to flourish because I won't say that it was super easy, but it was accessible for most Mac users. As long as you were okay diving into ResEdit, you could go in and make a full color scheme of your own. You could customize uh, not the the shape of, say, uh, the close widget and zoom widget and minimize widget. They were still a 16 by 16 square, but you could put basically any art inside of them. You could put any art inside the scroll bars, the, uh, the grow widget, uh, anything that fit inside the basic frame of a platinum window was fair game. Later on, uh, in Kaleidoscope 1.8, a new major feature was added, which was the Kaleidoscope extension. So this was a control panel operating, you know, still similarly to way, the way that, uh, that say, system preference panes work in OS X, where if you wanted to change anything, you had to go open the control panel, change the settings, switch the scheme, whatever you wanted, uh, all within the control panel. And this new extension was bundled with Kaleidoscope, and what it did was it let you have all of your schemes, you know, were files uh, in, on your system, and you could just double-click a scheme, and a little splash page would appear, and the whole uh, appearance would change just with a double-click, which was a really cool feature. The whole idea of, of Kaleidoscope and the ease that it, it gave to customizing your system with a, a scheme that was already there is remarkable enough in itself, especially as just a control panel. But uh, it, I think the the 1.8 version became a feature that was almost taken for granted because it made it too easy to effortlessly switch between themes. Right. And I think that enabled a lot of creativity as well, because, you know, you could you could download something that you didn't think was a very serious scheme, but you wanted to just try it or show it off. And you could be just, you know, back to Apple Platinum with two more clicks. Really no trouble at all. And then finally came Kaleidoscope 2. I think the final release is Kaleidoscope 2.3.1. And in Kaleidoscope 2, it really opened things up further. So there's a great line from the Kaleidoscope 2.0 uh, release notes. One of the major features added is it says, quote, added a new window engine so cool that words cannot adequately describe it. So the major thing that it did was that it broke free of the size and shape and frame of the platinum window, which, if you recall, OS 8 and OS 9, uh, you know, had a pretty standard title bar and then small, I want to say six pixel edges around all sides of the window. So anything that you wanted to do with the scheme had to fit into that template, which, you know, is not a huge canvas for art. But what Kaleidoscope 2 did was it said, okay, you can, you know, there's the content area of the window and you define what that is. And then anything around that, however much you want to fill up is yours to play with, as long as you properly define what the regions are. Instead of being stuck with a six-pixel border around all the edges, you could drop down to a two-pixel or one-pixel or no border. Or you could go crazy the other way. You could get to the point where you had, you know, 30-pixel borders or giant 100-pixel tall artwork spewing off the top of the title bar. And really, all of these possibilities became reality. (laughs) And uh, there are other features that became little trademarks of Kaleidoscope. The one that I'm thinking of in particular is the uh, the zoom rectangles when you opened a folder or a file. Well, we should probably step back and remind people about zoom rectangles. <laughs> when you used to open an application or a file or a folder, uh, you'd get the kind of the marching ants, n- not in motion, but uh, rectangles from the 32 by 32 icon uh, scale up to fill your window, just to let you know the kind of the visual feedback that uh, you had launched something. This has persisted into OS X, but it's become 
uh, much more advanced. These were just, you know, gray rectangles that animated up and then disappeared when the window was put into place. Whereas now we have actual, you know, animated fading transitions. Like if you, if you select an icon in Finder today and, uh, what would you have to press? Like command shift down, right? To, to slow down the animation. If you hold the shift for many of the animations in, in OS X, it slows down the animation. So you can't hold shift and double click on it because you'll just select and unselect it. But command shift down, you should be able to get, and you'll see that the icon grows and fades out and the window also fades in and grows up to the full size. And also, I think it was in Mavericks, that introduced the sort of popping from the center animation when windows appeared, which some people really hate and other people just didn't even notice were changed all that much. So yeah, so in classic Mac OS, you had these, these gray rectangles that animated up. And one of the features that was introduced in Kaleidoscope, I don't know if this was a separate utility that then got baked in, or this was a K original feature. Um, was that instead of them being sort of concentric rectangles or moving along in a straight line, they would go through a, I think, 90-degree rotation with all these diagonal boxes. And it was an effect that maybe looked cool once, but when it added the extra half second to every open action, it got pretty annoying. It got really tiresome, and so... Part of what I did for for this show was I actually, because the Kaleidoscope website is still all there, everything's available, um, I actually installed Kaleidoscope in an emulator and got it running in a copy of System 7.5. And when you first install it, the, the spinning zoom recs are on by default. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember these. This is cool for about a minute. <laughs> and I went and turned it right off. Um, there was a feature to make them go faster, but at that point you could barely see them and they were still a little annoying. So I just, I sent them away. It, it was a nice touch at the time. Um, but that's one piece of Kaleidoscope that I don't think lasted. But there were some other features that it brought that were really useful in terms of, uh, in terms of customization. So one thing that you could do is that not only could you change the window appearance, but you could bundle custom icons with color schemes and then later with schemes for Kaleidoscope 2.0. And you could replace just about any, any icon for the system, including the default folder, which really allowed you to, you know, otherwise you would have perhaps a sort of radically different looking scheme, but all of the built-in System 7 or Mac OS 8 icons. Right. And uh, we talk a lot about the Kaleidoscope scheme community in this episode, but uh, the icon community in, uh, in this era of the Mac was also very vibrant. I think uh, the de facto leader was the icon factory, and they would release uh, entire uh, sets that would cover um, like all the default system icons. But without Kaleidoscope, you could go through and copy and paste them in the Git info window of a couple areas. And then there were some that you couldn't modify, like maybe the actual system or finder files themselves within the system folder, or like Ed said, the default icon for a new folder or the default icon for an extension. Right. Or you could do that by going in and hacking your system with ResEdit. But again, it's sort of, sort of dangerous just to get, you know, some some custom folders eh, that was you, you're putting putting the stability of your system at risk for for just a nice little little interface tweak. Absolutely. So the ability to do that and the ability to do it across all of those different uh, icon types, and then you know it wasn't like you pasted a custom icon into the get info window for a particular folder. It was as long as you were running that scheme, things that had the default icon changed. If you made a new folder, it had the the new icon. And that was, you know, it really let people round out their schemes and make them feel like full transformations of the interface. And uh, you mentioned the Icon Factory. They actually saw that as a need, too, 
later on because they released a utility that the whole purpose of it was to be able to customize those sort of icons, which was Candy Bar. And uh, they cooperated with Panic on that. Uh, Panic known for Transmit and Coda these days. Um, and it was, it was maintained all the way through OS 10 and only recently with the release of Yosemite, I think they put it in a, in kind of maintenance mode, no further updates. That was a nice little utility because, you know, not everyone wanted to change the appearance of their windows. Um, especially because if you're going to be using something every day, you really want it to be functional Artistic, yes. Beautiful, yes. But really functional. And I think we feel that icons might not disrupt that functionality quite as much. uh, Real-time follow-up, as some other podcasts like to say, uh, Candy Bar was unsupported as of Mountain Lion because of sandboxing. Of course, of course. Yeah, because something like Kaleidoscope would be absolutely impossible under sandboxing restrictions you know this it it was really taking advantage of deep system level hooks that that were the kind of thing that apple still allowed in the classic mac os um a couple other things that it introduced that seem like uh general features now was uh transparent menus so you could have a 8-bit mask to uh put transparency in the menus of course there's been lots of talk about the transparency level of menus in Yosemite. Some people think they are too transparent and they would probably love the ability to customize them and make them a little bit less transparent without having to disable transparency across the entire system. Yes, I'm one of those people. <laughs> yeah, and one thing that I noticed when people were talking about that is that in uh, pre-Yosemite versions of OS ten, not if you go all the way back to like 10... 10.0 and 10.1, then they were really transparent and pretty hard to see through, uh, or pretty hard to see the content. You could see right through them. Um, but in in Mavericks, I thought that the menus were 100% opaque, but they're not. They're like 90%. You can just see a tiny bit through them. And of course, you know, that's probably the level that you should aim for. You know, when, when you're given this power as part of the customization, use it wisely. <laughs> One final thing that it allowed was, uh, Brian mentioned, uh, interface sounds. And so you could customize the window shade sounds. And again, we should probably step back uh, and recall what window shade was. Um, back in System 7, 7.0, 7.1, there was no way to minimize or hide windows. So you could hide an entire application, as you still can do. Um, But if you had a window, you could resize it smaller or close it or hide the whole application. Those are your only options. And a third-party extension called Window Shade was released that let you double-click on the title bar and everything except the title bar would disappear. You'd have a, a thin rectangle on your desktop. Yeah, and then you could sort of organize your little thin rectangle title bars so you could actually see all the windows that you had open. And there was a delightful little sound that went with this that, you know, really indicated sort of, you know, pulling up your window, pulling down your window. And you could customize these in Kaleidoscope, which let you have not only sort of a visual theme, but an audio theme as well. Like we said, there was a huge, huge market for customization at this time, and thousands and thousands of kaleidoscope schemes were developed. And so it's great that you can actually still see all of the kaleidoscope schemes that were published on the official kaleidoscope scheme archive, which is at kaleidoscope.net slash schemes and is still out there today. I hope, you know, I've been pouring through it over the past week or so, and I hope that, you know, I I hope that they don't look at their traffic logs and go, what the, what, why, why is everyone back here? It's been so cheap to keep this website up because it gets no traffic. Well, I mean, but the fact of the matter is that it's still probably cheap. And I, I was realizing this as I was going through page after page after page of kaleidoscope schemes is that I remember that 
I was looking at these in pre-broadband days. And they would post uh, a page of all of the week's new schemes once a week, however many submissions that they got. And in the in you know at the peak of this, they were getting, I don't know, I would say probably 20, 30 new schemes per week, which was really exciting. You know, it was something that you looked forward to. It's like, wow, this week, I'm going to be able to make my Mac look like something that I've never have before. But I remember loading up those pages and just opening it up in browser and like going and doing something else for three minutes while it loaded up because it had a little uh, a little window preview, a little image preview of what the windows and controls looked like in each scheme. And so I was going through this, uh, you know, on Chrome, on Yosemite and on fast broadband and thinking, oh, man, these pages load like instantaneously. And just remembering this, the, the difference of what that felt like. So I was like, yeah, I, it, it seemed like so resource intensive. And then you look at it and they're all like color optimized GIF files. They're really small. So I loaded up a page with, you know, 20 or 30 of them on there and went to the web inspector to see how much data had loaded for the page. And it was like 450K. Wow. Because they also have uh, header images that kind of look like the the speaker grill from the first iMac. That's what I always thought, at least. But yeah, it, it must all be just crazy optimized. Yeah, and so you know, it, running it just as a as a historical archive, we're uh, really happy that they still are, and uh, it it seems eminently practical now, even though it was a, a really big resource then. So yeah, so the the thing that this let us do was we could really go back and delve through the archives and remember what there was for Kaleidoscope. And there were lots of options. As we've uh, alluded to during this episode, some were restrained, some were innovative, some were uh, completely crazy and bordering on degrading the user experience so much that uh, it was really just eye candy to look at and uh, not worth using at all. But many of them were really, really good looking and really innovative for their time. So we have, you know, we said that there were all those gallery images up on uh, the Scheme Archive and uh, definitely suggest going and browsing through those. Uh, they have some of the like top picks for when the Scheme Archive shut down, which was, I think, in like 2003 or so. But we've gone through and picked out a whole bunch that we're going to talk about, and they're in the show notes on our website, which is simplebeep.com. And so you can play along in your in your podcast app's show notes or go to the website as we we look through some of these uh, these interface options that were possible with Kaleidoscope. Let's start with the ones that were truly innovative. Ed also mentioned the Icon Factory. Um, one of the ones I'd like to start with is uh, Echelon. Yep. Which I want to say was just their system icon replacement set first, and then uh, later there was a kaleidoscope theme to complement it. Yeah, there were actually two versions of it. There was a, there was a, I, I think they were both K2 schemes, but one had sort of a plain window border, and one went more artistic. It's a color palette that I like. It's it maybe is the the blue of the left hand side of the Finder logo, complemented uh, by like a forest green and um, I don't know goldenrod little gold controls. Yeah, the window widgets. It's got this sort of like flying wing pattern to the window, the way that uh, the the controls sort of stick up as tabs on either side. That was definitely one of the the more innovative schemes. Even with the limitations of the Kaleidoscope 1.x format, a lot was possible. And I think the schemes that first got me interested in Kaleidoscope were the Scroll Lights schemes by Lane Carcraft. Another site that's still out there, although in a little bit changed form from how it was many years ago, is Lane Carcraft's site, blueskyheart.com. And he still does graphic design uh, graphic design work, both for apps and and just as as art, 
And he was one of the definitely leading people in the icon customization in System 7 Days, and then took that further with his kaleidoscope schemes, which were often based on either an icon set that he had done or a desktop background. So he was doing desktop backgrounds where, you know, you have, that was sort of the most free form digital art that and interface customization that we could have at the time, because, you know, you just have a canvas and, and you can put any kind of art in it that you want. And his style included, um, well, these things that then became known as scroll lights, uh, which are, they're sort of glassy looking little like squares or orbs and again, you know, with as much as you could do doing single pixel click, point and click art. Um, but you could get a lot done. You could make the the window widgets look like these, you know, real material glass widgets, which, to be honest, is what they looked like for a lot of the Mac OS X era. Yeah, I was going to say something about that. Uh, the scroll lights, uh, if they were actual physical glass objects, I think would be more of like pieces of art uh, uh, existing for actual aesthetic sake. Whereas the, the kind of the glassy bubbles in early OS 10 aqua were definitely utilitarian. Uh, they had a sense of personality, sure, because they were colorful, but uh, I don't know the, the scroll lights glassy effect always seems so much more vibrant to me. They look like a really nice paperweight that someone would have not for the purpose of weighing down papers, but as a nice art object on their desk. Yeah. And when you think about, like like I said, that, that some of these were probably done pixel by pixel in a 16 by 16 grid, it makes it all the more impressive. But of course, when, you know, these were Kaleidoscope 1 schemes, when all you have is 16 by 16 pixels, it's not so onerous to go in there and sweat the detail of each pixel. It's once you get up to much bigger artwork that it becomes really more of a challenge. And I remember, you know, I I remember going, you know, I was no artist at the time, but I remember going in and creating custom icons in the System 7 days. But then when we got to the point where we had 512 by 512 icons, and then we went beyond that to Retina, and, you know, you have to be creating literally a huge piece of art just to then also have an icon. It was when it went beyond what I was willing to do. Yeah, same here. My tipping point was actually uh, when the icons went 8-bit and had the uh, the alpha mask so you could have uh, shadows that actually faded based on the the background that they were sitting on. And uh, you couldn't do that in ResEdit. You had to actually use some, uh, some tools that we may talk about in another episode. And uh, that's when I decided it wasn't worth the effort. Yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, it's too bad, but it, w- it was great at the time because there were really a ton of people who felt like this was accessible and that they could create something and work with it. A couple other innovative ones, uh, one that I really want to mention is a pair of schemes called Tefra and Trianon. And these were sort of, uh, I don't know, what do you call it, like alien looking? It's a, it's a dark gray window with sort of green gel blobs as as interface elements. So it could be sort of futuristic alien look to it. It was very, it was very much the way I think pop culture represented uh, sci-fi aliens in that time, like the, the mid to late nineties. If you think about what the alien interfaces were in movies like independence day. Yeah. Or men in black or something. But the, the really interesting thing that the one variant scheme called Trianon did was instead of putting the three window widgets, close, minimize, and zoom in a row, like you would expect, or split top left and top right, as it was in classic macOS. They're all in the top right corner, but they're like three wedges of a circle. Kind of like a Simon game. Yeah, like a Simon board. Yeah, definitely. And so the top left one is still the close button, but then the zoom and minimize buttons are diagonal either side of it, which, you know, it's interesting because it's not just changing the appearance, but it's changing the functionality of how the windows worked, but in a way that's creative, but I could still see using that. Like if you had 
you know, three icons in that arrangement or three widgets in that arrangement, you could easily get used to it. Or if, you know, from the beginning, we had four options for manipulating windows and they had been put in a two by two square, no one would think, oh, this is weird. Moving on from things that were innovative and creating new ideas, uh, you get to the other side of that and you have blatant mimicry of other operating systems. Well, which is, of course, how Kaleidoscope began in the first place. Right. To look like the the rumored upcoming Copeland. Yeah. So there were lots of other operating systems, both contemporary and older, that got their own Kaleidoscope schemes and sometimes many, many, many variations. We've pulled out a, a few of the best here. By far the most popular, and understandably given the time, by far the most popular is BOS. So in the days of Copeland rumors and then rumors of Copeland's failing, <laughs> it, there was a big question of what is Apple going to do? The, the Copeland project is not going to make it. That's their internal next generation operating system. They need some help and they're going to acquire a company to help them with their new operating system. And there were two big contenders, B and Next. And we know which way it went. We know that they bought Next and got back Steve Jobs and the rest is history. But there was real thought at that time that BOS was a great up-and-coming next-generation operating system. And unfortunately, they didn't make it. (laughs) Yeah, it has a very distinct style where the title bars uh, aren't the full width of the window. They look like tabs. Uh, There's... A, a greater use of color than the kind of bland gray of the Copeland Platinum interface. Yeah, the the title bars are, like you said, tabs, and they're uh, like a bright, cheery yellow. And uh, one of the things that, to this day, I still like about BOS is uh, their icon for users was a, an isometrically uh, designed, like almost like the Pegman from Google Maps. And I use those icons still in, uh, in presentations to represent users. Copeland was planned to have to go from uh, two-dimensional folder icons to the kind of 3D folder at a 45-degree angle with shadows and you know really trying to approximate the third dimension. And BOS did the same thing. And I think theirs was a little more consistent and uh, definitely more colorful. Yeah, and now we've come full circle where with Yosemite all of the perspective has been taken out of the icons and they're back to a straight-on view. To say nothing of the like neon blue color change, but that's maybe that's a matter of taste. Well, maybe, maybe we still need some, uh, some additional theming possibilities <laughs> even today. But yeah, there were all kinds of other operating systems, including Windows 95 and 98, if I don't know why you hated yourself. Also... Uh, you could go even further back in time instead of looking ahead to Copeland. Uh, you could go further back to the Apple Lisa and go all black and white and the title bars. I mean, it looks familiar, but kind of off. And, you know, the, the title bars have this sort of weird black and white pattern in them. Along the same lines, there are also lots of minimalist schemes that... I don't know that we'll talk about any in particular detail here. You know, an easy way to get into scheme development was to take the Apple Platinum scheme and just make some minor modifications. But some of the nicest minimalist schemes are the ones that stuck with a conservative window border, but did things all their own way, nonetheless. So some of them have uh, very small title bars and window widgets, so they're really trying to make the most of limited screen real estate, while others went for a more sketchy style uh, or a more three-dimensional style, but staying all within a nice conservative approach that you could use every day and not feel like you were doing anything weird. Being able to switch, as we have in this past week, from modern OS X to the Apple Platinum of system seven through nine, uh, you you notice it's kind of minimalist from the start because everything has 90 degree edges. There are very few rounded corners in this scheme, in the standard 
OS scheme. And uh, you can see that a lot of these minimalist uh, schemes kept that just uh, hard corners, uh, little blending or anti-aliasing. But one of the things that Kaleidoscope 2 let you do was change that outline of the windows, including round rects and many other shapes that people brought in, uh, even to the point that they got a little silly about it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in this section, I don't really know where to begin. I think one of them that I regrettably installed on my own system back in the day, because it was an iMac, was one that would make each window in the Finder look like the front of an iMac. That is, you have... A, the, the original iMac, the Bondi Blue CRT. Yes. Uh, so it has uh, the CD drive, the two speaker grills. Yeah, th those are the window widgets. And you see that the title bar is actually down at the bottom of the window. Where the iMac product name would have been written on the, the physical product. But it has the, the thick bezel around the screen, uh, just as the the hardware was. And um, Ed was making a, a point earlier before the show that most displays of this era would only go up to 1024 by 768 pixels. If you were lucky. If you were lucky. And so if you add a solid, say, 24 to 32 pixels on each margin of the window, to say nothing of extra window dressing to get speaker grills and something, you can only have two or three windows open at a time before you start being unable to see what's inside them. And, you know, many of the things that we have in this section are of that sort where they're like, you appreciate the art of it, but it's really taking up a lot of space, especially for, for classic Macs. Um, one thing that's similar to the iMac where it has the controls as the iMac speakers and CD tray was um, another scheme that did that, but just with a basic Apple Platinum window, except they just took the title bar and put it on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, Upside Down Copeland. That's what it's called, Upside Down Copeland. I think that guy did a whole bunch of other ones where he just put, like, it was just like shuffling up the window. But that one is, I think, I think the funniest. There are a lot more, like, just like there's one for the iMac hardware, there's one for the blue and white G3 tower, which was codenamed Yosemite, not the modern Yosemite. No, so it's like a G3 tower looking from the side so you can see the feet and the handles are the the corners of the window. There's another one that was very popular at that time was called Note Paper. I actually really liked this one, despite um, the windows having uh, the, the, like the appearance of a piece of note paper torn out of a spiral with the little holes. I don't know how to describe it. I can't do any better than that. But uh, it was a very faithful reproduction of a piece of paper torn out. Yeah, and all of the interface elements looked like they had been drawn in with a pencil, mm -hmm. as opposed to, you know, nice, clean pixel lines. And there were some other silly ones. There's one that was featured heavily called Isa Shock Absorber, which had these sort of futuristic, I don't know, steampunk hydraulic shock absorbers running down the side of the window. You know, in case you dropped your computer. Other ones that put strange things around the around the borders. There's one that's called Piggy, which actually has a cartoon pig's head in the top corner and little feet sprouting out the bottom of the windows. The pig kind of looks angry. There's one that's obviously a Pikachu theme, but called something else for copyright reasons. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got ears and a face. And some people took this really way too far. To, to the point of being just, I thought, completely unusable. But still, some of these, be because they were pushing the boundaries so much, some of these were the most downloaded kaleidoscope schemes of all time. One of the best representations of this category is uh, Boilerplate. Yeah, Boilerplate was heavily featured with Kaleidoscope 2.0, and... I shouldn't have used this, the word steampunk a minute ago because this is the steampunkiest of all interface schemes ever, probably. It's got gears, rust, little dials and widgets that aren't actually attached to anything, don't do anything, and a huge, huge window board. We're talking like 60 pixels on every side. And it's all been rendered in like very good 3D considering what it's being used for. Right, yeah. These were, you know, amazing 3D rendered to 2D graphics 
that were you know sort of consistent with the time. But I remember installing Boilerplate and trying to switch back to the default theme and just like not even being able to. <laughs> Another one along the same line was called Desktop Guardian, which sounds pretty cool. And it is pretty cool. It puts a giant dragon on every window. <laughs> There is a giant dragon with claws, and it appears to be wearing some sort of jewelry or rings um, facing off the left-hand side of every window. And again, it's like 80 pixels wide, probably. Maybe even 100 pixels wide. The preview image that uh, Kaleidoscope would generate, the dragon's head is pretty much the same size as the sample window it's attached to. Exactly, exactly. And there were other things that did this for almost no purpose. There were a couple of schemes where someone found a really beautiful picture of a place and decided to attach it to an edge of everyone. I mean, it gave you a great, huge drag region. But other than that, um, I have to imagine that that would have gotten in the way a lot. Yeah. And it's not even like it's, it's a space for a photo that rotates. No, it's the same photo on the border of every window. Every single window. Uh, another one that I particularly enjoy... Uh, what was the name of this one? Oh, I think this one is called MG3D. It looks a whole lot like Apple Platinum, except for the window widgets, instead of them being nice little boxes, they made them full-size buttons with the words close, zoom, and collapse. Yes. Which, I mean, it's instructive, but it's not very useful. I, I almost hate to go here, but apparently... If you dig deep enough in the Scheme Archive, you will find the Pit of True Insanity, which was a whole set of schemes by an author, scheme author who went by Shiokop. The first one on his page, it's like he melted the... It's like it's it's neon, and then he melted it. And the window border is... I, I'm I'm almost amazed that this worked because it's far from rectangular. Yeah, it's almost, I mean, it, there are no smooth edges, but it's almost an oval. Yeah. And then the most delightfully crazy scheme on the entire archive that's ever been made is called, uh, I think it's 7784. A lot of his schemes had numbers at, that he would just like put into the window border. <laughs> they were all named with numbers and you put them in the, and I, I I don't know, Brian. Can you describe this one? I don't, uh, there are some there are some photos. There's some clip art. <laughs> There's some clip art. Uh, where the clothes widget would usually be is uh, would you say that's that's a wizard like shooting lightning out of his hand? No, it, it, it's a man leaning backwards in pain, and and it said it's captioned. It says lumbago. <laughs> Yeah, yes, it does. And there's a woman in the top right corner holding her temples, and underneath her it says headache. And then there are red pills in the corners of the windows and lightning shooting between everything. And uh, in the lower right, the resize widget is a close up on someone's face. It is modern art. That's that's as that's as far as I can say. So Brian, what what were you know? We've been through all these different categories. What were some of our really top picks if if someone was going to go back and you know try to try out kaleidoscope and you know if you feel like you have the time and inclination to get a mac emulator up and running or if you have a old mac sitting around that runs mac os 8 or mac os 9 you know it's probably worth it to go and check out a few of these so what are some of your picks for things that you would point people to to see the power of kaleidoscope if not the uh, the impractical side. Well, we mentioned Notepaper just a couple of minutes ago, which I actually left running for a while, not for the scheme and the or the window controls themselves, but I did really like the icon set that it included, uh, which I'd said makes it look like all the icons were sketched with a pencil or a set of colored pencils. Very cool, sketchy style. Yeah. On the flip side of that, the KidCon scheme, which... I think was also uh, created after the Icon Factory released a system replacement icon set of the same name. Yeah, that's another Icon Factory production. I don't like the icons themselves, uh, but I did like the scheme because it and it's it's called KidCon. They were the the general look was like very thick outlines and simple 
uh, muted colors with some accents to help you find the important stuff. Uh, as a as window controls, I thought that that was very easy to use because everything had thick outlines and uh, easy to find and easy to see controls. So it just kind of made using the system easy, maybe because it was designed for a child. <laughs> Who knows? It's got a lot of artistry to it, but still very practical. Yeah. Uh, but finally, uh, I think the scheme that I left running the longest in Kaleidoscope was called Electric Monk, and it was by a scheme designer named Albie Wong. And I think almost all of his schemes are worth checking out. But Electric Monk was was definitely my favorite. It was kind of like uh, a dark blue scheme with uh, neon, as if uh, a neon sign was framing everything, including a system icon replacement set. Albie Wong is definitely one of the more prolific scheme creators. Uh, a known name in that space, if you were if you were there at the time. Yeah, some of my f- favorites. Um, I already mentioned Scrollite's Alien. It was definitely the scheme that got me into it, and I remember running that a lot of the time, despite the fact that it's weird and alieny and purple. And I would leave it on, and other people would come to use the computer, and they'd be like, "What is this?" <laughs> um, schemes that were were more understated that I enjoyed. Um, is one called Silencio, which is a nice practical minimalist scheme where the major window outline is a sort of dark blue gradient and all of the controls are in a light gray, which is a really nice look. And one called MacQNX, which I guess is loosely based on a, I think it's a Linux window manager called QNX. Although I looked up screenshots of it and it really doesn't look the same. So it's, you know, it's inspired by not a not a clone like some of those OS schemes, uh, which had really small windows, small title bar, minimalist controls, and some blue accents that I thought was nice for day-to-day use. So we've been through a lot of kaleidoscope schemes, and you know, as we've alluded to, this was this was something that was stuck in the classic Mac OS and has not continued to today. Uh, Much to, I think, the disappointment of many people who are involved in this very active community. And there was an active community. And I know I was mostly a lurker, but for years I was subscribed to the Kaleidoscope scheme list, which was an email list for people who were interested in discussing new schemes and discussing the scheme creation process. And as OS X was being announced, and the creators of Kaleidoscope were realizing that Appearance Manager and the general sort of tools that were not available to them in OS X, then there was this sort of sense of, okay, we're, we're nearing the end. This is going to wind down. So what do we have now in OS X that comes close or is similar to Kaleidoscope? Well, in, in the early days of OS X, there were some attempts to uh, to replicate the full features of something like Kaleidoscope. And one of these was called Shapeshifter, and it fell under the, the general umbrella of these OS X tools that were called Haxies. There was a company called Unsanity that created a kind of an SDK in the same way that the Appearance Manager was a, a layer, but it was their third party... <laughs> Totally unsupported. totally unsupported by Apple Layer that they called the Application Enhancer. You could think of this as a rough equivalent of something like like jailbreaking an iOS device. This was this was like jailbreaking your desktop, basically. Yes, uh, and so you could run these hacksies that could do anything from uh, change just maybe one element of the interface. They had one that was uh, there was a hacksie that was focused on just the Apple menu. They even ported window shade, which we talked about earlier, as a hacksy. Right, because that went away in OS X. It just became minimized to the dock. Exactly. And some people wanted the, the thin title bar rectangles instead. Uh, but their their broad sweeping one was called Shapeshifter, which uh, was clearly inspired by Kaleidoscope. It, it was a system-wide interface changer. It supported... Uh, third-party community of uh, schemes that uh, you could submit to the central directory, download as you wanted. But I think anyone who is using 
Haxies and uh, anything that ran on Unsanity's APE or Shapeshifter will only remember the crashes that it caused, affecting uh, other third-party software that wasn't designed with these kind of enhancements in mind. So it would crash. It would. It could crash your system. It could crash one of your favorite apps that you'd gotten from someone else. You know, because of that instability. I think that's why it never caught on and never developed a community of the same size as Kaleidoscope. That, that's really a testament to Kaleidoscope because, to be honest, even though it was working through the appearance manager, it was doing the same sort of things that uh, that Haxies were. It was going into the the memory space of the operating system and saying, no, 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 I'm, I'm override, overriding you. Don't draw windows like this. Draw windows this other way. And I mean, yes, there is general instability in general, especially in System 7.5 days and continuing into later cla- classic macOS. But for the most part, Kaleidoscope was pretty rock solid. You are not going to get a whole lot more crashes running Kaleidoscope than you were without. We mentioned earlier in the episode that Arlo Rose, one of the people involved with Kaleidoscope who came on later, also made a software called Confabulator, Confabulator with a K. And uh, in the early days of OS X, before OS X Tiger, this was equivalent to what we now know as the dashboard, uh, kind of a layer on your screen where you could place widgets, stock widget, clock widget, delivery status, anything you wanted. It was so similar to Dashboard, in fact, that when Tiger came out and introduced Dashboard, uh, as John Gruber put it in an article I I read while researching this, there was no mention of Dashboard in these early reviews uh, that didn't mention Confabulator because of how similar they were. Yeah, yeah. We could probably come back and do a whole whole show on Confabulator someday. Uh, But suffice to say, that's also... uh, uh, no longer. It was acquired by Yahoo, actually, and became Yahoo Widgets for a while. And then I think they abandoned it completely. So I had thought that the sort of scheming that we saw with Kaleidoscope was completely dead on macOS these days because Unsanity is out of business for obvious reasons. They just crashed everybody's Mac. But I was looking around before the show and just you know, typed in something like OS X interface themes or something, expecting to find nothing. But I found this interesting app called Flavors, spelled the British way, F-L-A-V-O-U-R-S. It appears to be essentially a full macOS X theming application. And it's, it's sort of your Kaleidoscope 1.5 for, for macOS X because... It doesn't allow changing the window border shape, but allows any sort of artwork change within it. And I thought, whoa, this this looks really great. They have examples of their themes on the website, similar to how the Scheme Archive did with example windows, example controls. So I decided to give it a try. It looks like it's in active development. It started just last year in 2013, which is probably why I hadn't heard of it. It's an active development. People have been asking, hey, is this going to work in Yosemite? They say, we're working on a 2.0 version that's going to have full Yosemite compatibility. So it seems like, okay, great. This is this could be like a real successor. So I downloaded it and tried it out. And I'm a little bit dubious, but we'll see. Uh, you know, because I figured that we still have, you know, this is obviously not in the Mac App Store because it's not going to fit any of the sandboxing requirements that we have. But... I thought, okay, let's see how this works. So I install it. I launch it. It asks to install, quote, a helper file with your admin password. And I thought, okay, this is fine. So I got through. I I downloaded a theme and said, switch to the theme. And I expected, you know, this wonderful just, boop, you know, (laughs) everything changes just like Kaleidoscope did. And it brings down a little... Uh, a little pane with a progress bar and it says all of these like cutesy things like gathering ingredients mixing and stirring stirring and mixing pouring in a freezer bottle (laughs) like you know because their icon is like an ice cream cone flavors 
And so it's like all these cute little ice cream metaphors and it goes through and it does all this stuff. And I'm wondering like, what is happening during this progress bar? Like, why is it taking so long? And then it gets to the end and it says, log out and log in to see your new theme. And I went, oh no, it's (laughs) all of that progress bar. I'm guessing, I don't know. I, I looked through their support and stuff to try to find out. I'm guessing all of that is like, reaching into the bowels of your system and actually moving out the default thought, you know, there, there have to be art resources still in the system that indicate what, what the windows look like. That's part of the software. I feel like it like backed up a copy of those and put in new ones and said, okay, now for this to work, you have to basically relaunch the window server process, which means log out and log back in. And so I am a little bit skeptical. One thing that is nice that it has is it has a built-in theme editor. So unlike Kaleidoscope, which required you to have good res edit chops, or later in uh, later on there were some utilities that were built uh, to help with Kaleidoscope scheming. You know, this has a built-in theme editor where you say create a new theme, and it has all the sort of components of the window. And an interesting way that you build them up is that there's actually no pixel art, which surprised me. There's no pixel art. Everything is done in layers, like layer styles in Photoshop. So you start like with a gradient, and then you can apply like a gloss filter on it, um, or you could apply, you know, uh, inside shadow, drop shadow, bevel, like these sorts of things. And even their default default theme that looks like Mavericks. For example, the the close buttons or you know the the close button is not like a little graphic of the red widget. It's like 16 layer styles applied to a red circle, which is really cool but really kind of daunting in another way. I'm really happy that these people are working on this project. I'm excited to see what they bring in their Yosemite version. And, you know, I hope that it's more stable than Shapeshifter and reaches a point where it's almost as convenient as Kaleidoscope. Because, you know, when you look at just the preview images, some of them look really great. And I think this is something that would be really great to have back as part of the macOS experience. It's I think it's just under 20 bucks. And wasn't Kaleidoscope? Kaleidoscope's price changed. but Kaleidoscope uh, is from- shareware. <laughs> <laughs> this is one thing that I realized when I installed Kaleidoscope was last episode we talked about startup chimes and the sounds that you always heard every time you started up your Mac. I forgot every time I started up my Mac, I got the Kaleidoscope is shareware message, which had this sound that played with it that went. That was like every bit as much of the startup process for me for many years as the startup chime itself was. You know, hopefully... Hopefully, we'll have some more options for this in the future. But like I said, you know, it was it was really accessible to people at the time. One thing I noticed going through the Scheme Archive was that there was an almost equal distribution of male and female names of Scheme authors, which I thought was really exciting because, you know, most of the people who were doing this were using ResEdit, which is a developer tool to go in and hack files and make their system look like something else. And it looked like there were tons of people doing this just on a whim or as a hobby or as an artistic pursuit, you know, just from all across different backgrounds. And I thought that was really exciting. Wonder where they are now and if we could bring them back out with something like this. Yeah, so in these still, I would say, early days of OS X Yosemite, which obviously uh, brings a new look to the Mac. It's it's really interesting to go back and not just see how the Mac's default appearance used to be, but the ways that people were, were customizing it and how far-reaching uh, this community was. Yeah, and how powerful the technology was. So, I don't know, Brian, did you ever like create a full color scheme yourself? I didn't. Um, I had this in our notes. Uh, I found that to be too daunting. But what I did do, and this is a little off topic, is uh, my MP3 
software of choice uh, before iTunes just became the 800-pound gorilla was Audion by Panic. If, if you haven't read the Audion story by Panic, we'll put that in the show notes. Absolutely wonderful, heartbreaking story of this great MP3 player app. Another episode again. They had a similar thing where you could create your the entire face of the MP3 player. Um, and it was pretty robust too. They supported uh, 8-bit alpha channels and translucency, uh, full color palette, obviously. Button placement, control, shape, yeah. And it was also uh, pretty straightforward. I think ResEdit and an image editor uh, as well. And so I focused my um, my user interface energy, what little of it there was, in making different skins for Audion, the MP3 player. In the K days, I pretended to <laughs> pretended to do this, but I never I never got around to releasing a scheme. I think it was in part because of the Kaleidoscope One to Kaleidoscope Two transition, and the steps involved in creating a Kaleidoscope Two scheme seemed much more daunting to me, and so I never really did it. But I thought. As I was playing with it now, I, I had, well, I had a dumb idea. We mentioned that that scheme that we saw earlier that was called Yosemite, that was the picture of the G3 tower from the side, and also all of the OS mimicry schemes that we had, and and a light bulb went off. Like I said, a really stupid light bulb. <laughs> I said to myself, hey, I've got Kaleidoscope up and running in an emulator. I wonder if I can make it look like Yosemite. That is Mac OS 10.10. So I went down the rabbit hole. And for our next show, we, we, hadn't, we hadn't really planned this to be our, our next topic, but I think it's too good of a story not to share. Next episode, we're going to go, uh, like I said, down the rabbit hole in, <laughs> into the heart of the Basilisk, the System 6 and 7 emulator and see if it's possible to make System 7 look like Mac OS 10.10. So yeah, that brings us to a close of our summary of Kaleidoscope. Next episode will be uh, a, a special one. <laughs> a deep dive into creating Kaleidoscope schemes yourself. Yeah, and also go back into the history of what it took back in the day and why we think so many people did it and enjoyed it and were good at it. So you can find show notes for this show on our website at simplebeep.com. Like we said, there's a gallery there of all of the schemes that we talked about. You can also go check out the full Kaleidoscope scheme archive, which is still at kaleidoscope.net, miraculously. If you have feedback about the show, uh, we got some great feedback about the first episode. We're really happy that people have subscribed and are looking forward to new episodes of the show. So if you have feedback, you can find us on Twitter at simple underscore beep. You can find me on Twitter at ecormany, E-C-O-R-M-A-N-Y. And I'm at bsuto, B-S-U-T-O. And thanks again to everyone who's subscribed already. Uh, if this is your first episode and you haven't subscribed, you can get the RSS link or the iTunes link on our website or just search Simple Beep in your favorite podcast app. Also, you know, we're we're listed through the iTunes store because it's the default podcast directory for all sorts of apps. And people say that ratings there make a big difference. You know, we don't want to beg for them. But uh, if you enjoyed the show and want to do something that'll help us out, just take a minute and head over to iTunes and give us a quick rating. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.